Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to Action Movie Anatomy. It's me, it's not Ben, but we are talking Spider-Man Far From Home. I'm an idiot. I didn't stay for the second post credit scene, so we're going to talk about it right now. Spoilers coming your way. Boom. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Action Movie Anatomy. Oh, where's the song? Where's the song? No. Uh, Thank God. That was dark for a moment. I, I was worried real just in general. Scared. I was like, I think, I think a blip is They happened. finally found it. Yeah, YouTube finally. Snoop Dogg is outside the studio. It finally happened. 95 plus four pennies. Uh, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Action Movie Anatomy. Welcome back, my good friend, Coy. How you doing, brother? Dude, so excited for like this movie in particular. Uh, dude, like, this like, is the perfect, this is fate. There's only one man that I should really call to have come on this show. Every Spider-Man movie, yes. animated or live action, I will be on Action Movie it's Anatomy. Just, we'll just, make it happen. He could talk the whole time. I could just sit here. He'd make me look smart. Let's do a three-hour show. That's, Let's I'm, just Titanic runtime. Avatar, we're coming for you. After, after last night's stream, I cannot do a three-hour <laughs> stream. Uh... Koi is here. We've also got the Cine Fanatics here on the couch. Robert and Chris, how you boys doing? Doing good. Doing great. Yeah. yeah. Why are you here? How did you find this room? <laughs> no, I blame uh, you. <laughs> what are you guys doing in L.A.? Uh, you, are you guys just on vacation? or We're actually here for, uh, as YouTubers, not only do we run like the Cine Fanatics movie channel, but uh -huh. we also are doing our own vlogging channels as well. Okay. So we're just uh, interested into the whole YouTube culture, the community. So therefore, we are also attending for our second year in a row uh, VidCon down in Anaheim. Oh, that's awesome. Well, maybe you can help me out with YouTube because yeah, I, I know it so I'm little. so bad. I, I feel like YouTube. I went backwards. I like started at networks that go to YouTube, but I never did a YouTube channel of my own. Right. So when now I look at YouTube, I'm like, this seems like a Dude, lot of buttons. I, yeah, a lot complex. of buttons. There's like many layers, intricacies about YouTube, but that's not why we're here. <laughs> we're here to talk about the ramifications of the blip. Guys, this is going to be a very serious episode, and it will be three hours long. Uh, we're here to talk Far From Home. Uh, I actually really, really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, but first and foremost, let's get a few things of business out of the way. Where can the people find you, Koi? I mean, pretty easy. You can find me at Koi Jondro on Twitter and Instagram on Collider and Nerdist and Screen Junkies and here. Uh, and I got I to gotta promote at the jump. Jake Gyllenhaal and I went comic book shopping, so while we're talking about Far From Home, there are going to be some Jake Gyllenhaal tidbits, because I got to go shopping with Mysterio for comics. It was pretty crazy. Saw the movie in London. We'll dive into that, but yeah. uh, please check out comic book shopping. I'm so proud of that episode. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and I talking comics is amongst, like, not even bucket list, just like, how did this happen list? That show, I, it was one of those holy shit moments for me. I yeah. like, opened up my Twitter or Instagram, and I, saw, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> is that... Is that Koi? <laughs> we, we started promoting it, and people were like, oh, you guys are overhyping it. They're like, it's special guest in London. Yeah. We, kept, we kept doing this stuff, and everybody's like, it's going to be blankety-blank. And like everybody was like dejected. I was like, no matter what, it's someone from Far From Home. What's right. wrong like, with who, you? How bad could it be? Look really at this be? cast. And then when people were like, oh, my God, it's Jake Gyllenhaal. And then like it was just this long quiet of like, oh, no, it wasn't overhyped. And, and then I just was like, meh. And you're like, Bleh. And then the episode, like Jake was such he's a great actor because he listens. Right. So I had a really good time uh, just imparting 
imparting knowledge to him and then me and him talk about acting process. And he's the first guest I've had on the show, usually in between setups, because in any sort of creative making, there are lights and there are, like, you know, camera equipment. You have to move stuff. It takes time to set up. So in between setups, I usually look at my notes on my phone, like, what uh, what questions that I want to ask versus what comic, because I try to coincide the comic with the question. If you right. watch the show, it's very, it's supposed to be seamless. Yeah. Jake wanted to talk between every setup about, like, why I love comics, why he's into acting. Like, we never stopped talking for the entire shoot. And it was this amazing moment of, like, me and this guy are talking, like, as far back as Donnie Darko about process. We're talking about Jeff Bowman, who I went to, actually went to middle school with the guy who lost his legs in the marathon bombing, and Jake played him. So I got to talk about the real ramifications with the man who knew more than anyone. Holy and it was crap. just this, it was, like, one of the most amazing life experiences I had, and then I got to share it with the world. And he's just the coolest dude. Jake's the like. best. Like, absolutely exhaustingly cool. Because he's that so handsome, that talented, and that cool. It's not right. fair. The bar is too high. <laughs> right. So how, who made you? What is the rest of us? What are the rest of us supposed to do with this person existing? Talk uh, to him about comic books. He's, he's fantastic. And he's the first guest. Um, we were in London. Yeah. So usually guests, we, we do all the, the behind-the-scenes stuff, and then we're like, okay, we'll get these books back to you. But we're in London, and Jake was like, no, no, I want I want these comics. Like, I want I want to, I want to read. Like, I want to start. So it was really great for him to be like, no, no, I want this now. Like, so how do we... Yeah, like, yeah, we... Dove in, so and I bet he could afford it. I mean, Jake Tillman's doing it, okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he he was so invested in the comics, and, and it's been really interesting to see people on YouTube being like, Jake looks bored. I'm like, no man, he like can't wait to read Saga and Mister Miracle and all the stuff we talked about, and that's, that's also so cool to awesome. see someone of that repute be like invested in the actual source material. Well, no wonder he's so damn good at everything that he does because he's just that type of person. He yeah. goes, he doesn't do anything half-assed. He wants to absorb. He wants to like glean knowledge from. And I don't Love use it. the English language like most people would like now an adjective verb. And he like was repeating some of my phrases, and I was like, this is fascinating. Am that's I going to so be a Jake cool. Tillman? Because of my weirdness, like it was just weird to see like his process. So he's he's fantastic. It was it was an absolute honor. And uh, to tie it into my favorite superhero, like Spider Man's been. My, I learned to read on Spider Man. Like wow. Spider Man Torment. Uh, I shouldn't have been reading at age three, but I learned to read through the comics of Spider Man. So it's an honor to uh, be able to do all of the stuff. And it's been it's been a whirlwind of, of press. Yeah, I can't wait to talk to you a little bit more about that, about London, about Jake, everything. Um, so, dude, I'm so glad you're here, guys. Yeah. Where can we find you on the interweb? Well, you can check us out. I mean, obviously, we're on YouTube, CineFanatics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find us there. You can also get on Twitter. We're there at MLP, as well as we each have our own uh, Chris Adams MLP, and he's Robert Adams MLP. Hell yeah. What is MLP? It stands for uh, Method Living Productions. That's kind of like my uh, overall. Cool, cool, over cool. Everything. I've always wanted to know that. I've yeah. just seen it and I've never asked. So, uh, yeah. guys, you can find me at Andrew Guy. This is Action Movie Anatomy. This show adheres to four basic rules. And I don't know if this one will match. We'll see. Hero, <laughs> rule number one, the hero plays by their own rules. Um, what do you think about that? Does Spider-Man play by his own rules, or does he play by the rules of everyone else? I think the arc of Spider-Man is learning that his own rules work with other people's, and he hasn't found that out yet because he's still young. He's still I, a baby. I think this Spider-Man does not play by his own rules, but we're seeing the foundation of his own rules being formed. He's 16. He's a he's literal 16. child. He's a child. Uh, rule number two, the hero and the villain are always the smartest people's beings, creatures, animals, dinosaurs in the room. This I have to completely agree with. It's spelled out for us. It is, yes. It is. That is literally the premise of the movie, that he is smarter than we uh, than we believe that he is. No, rule number three, the movie is driven by a police, military, or political figure. We can consider the Avengers kind of a uh, as a military force, if we will. They do or used to work for the government. Right now, they're 
not really on the best terms. Yeah, yeah, it's half of them. Half of them, yeah. And rule number four, the movie contains a minimum of one explosion. It's a Marvel movie. There's always explosions in Marvel movies. Guys, quick Patreon shout-out to Kelsey Kirkland and Mac Ryan. You guys are amazing. Mac Ryan donated $100 in Super Chat the other day for our AMA uh, 200 stream. So Mac is a legend. Kelsey is also a general, so I and we all salute you. You guys don't have to. It's Ben saluting you somewhere. I think he's on a plane right now. I don't Uh, know. When isn't he on a plane? The guy lives in the air. It's insane. I don't know. How, how he does, does he stay it? so hydrated? He doesn't. Like his, his skin isn't like you see people on a plane. Like like Ben, good on you. Whatever your regimen is, keep it up. You hear that, Ben? <laughs> you hear that? Impressed. <laughs> uh, so, guys, a couple segments. We're going to talk about Koi's top five MCU villains. See if Mysterio works his way in there or not. We will be doing the action, guys. I will be doing it later today with John Roca. We'll be discussing our top ten MCU villains. Um, I think we have the same first, but we'll have to see. (laughs) Uh, AMA 200 just happened this last week. Thank you guys so much for participating in that. And lastly, down below in the description, there is a link to buy tickets to New York Live. The action guys are going to New York. You heard it here. Not first, but one of the very first times. Uh, This is the first time you'll actually be able to see the link. You can buy tickets down below. We are so excited. We're going to do like an hour and a half show with you guys. So look at it. Click on it. Do it. Um... Guys, let's hop right into the show, and let's start off with what we always start off with, our thesis statement. Koi, I would love to start with you, unless you want me to jump in first. I think I got one. Yeah, all right. What is your thesis statement, guys? This is your biggest, boldest thought about the film? If you were at a Far From Home party, this is what you would say. The beauty of Far From Home is that it is an MCU villain that isn't a piece of history. It is a prophetic villain that reflects the future. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> That's how I saw this movie. It is it is a villain that is not playing with the mythology of the comics as a mandatory. It is playing with the pieces of the mythology at once. Yeah. But the character itself reflects the future, not the present day. We're only going to see more deep fakes. We're only going to see more fake government videos. We're only going to see more real videos that are pretending to be fakes. We're only going to see more terrifying uses and abuses of power with the digital medium. Yeah. This is a character who does that as a villain. So I believe this, much like Idiocracy, where that was the first prophetic president, is right. the first prophetic villain. With Terry Crews, we got to see what we'd be living in, not to get political. But with uh, with this character, we get to see what villainy will be in the future. And I think we're only going to see more fake videos and the character itself self-reflects what I believe in less than 15 years of problems are going to be, perhaps even less than 10. Well, dude, you've already seen those crazy-ass videos dude, of like, are scary, being so. able to take Obama's face and have him say things that he would never say. Like the Joe Rogan voice, like yeah, his the, podcast, he's in enough of the they can get the sound bites and just yeah. have Joe Rogan say stuff on a machine. Which is horrifying. Yeah. I love that thesis. I think it's brilliant. I think it's also terrifying looking <laughs> into the future, and I don't think you're wrong by any means. I think you're completely correct, and it's going to start happening. It probably already has started happening. We've already seen some of it, and I think on the scale of this is the 15-year mark. I think in the next five years, we'll start to see it as more of a reality where people are going to start to get worried. Mm-hmm. In the next 10, we're going to have a large ramification from it. In the next 15, I think it's going to be hard to discern reality from unreality. In my opinion, we're living in a time now where things are about to change enough. We're going to consider what we record as a different medium now yeah the way we look at uh you know video as as a be-all end-all versus cgi like we're about to be in a, a tectonic shift where that changes where reality and unreality the uncanny valley is going to get crossed to a new threshold where we're gonna have to relearn what we see as real yeah and there's gonna have to be like a people gonna have to walk around with like a trademark on their face or you something know, like, like pops out like an image to let you know like it's really me i think edith glasses are going to become an actual like not mandatory but something like that is going to have to translate things for us because ar and vr are already prevalent yeah and the way technology is exponentially improving, it's going to be a point where we can't discern between the two and we're going to have to say what's real and what's not. And I think we might not live through that, but our kids will. Did you like Edith? 
Uh, I liked the name a lot. Uh, I, I think Edith inherently has a lot of problems. Yeah. Uh, and I think that it's a great tool that was used sometimes perfectly, yep. but other times not. And I think that it ties in a lot of my, my faults with the film. I really love this film, and I, I want to go in with a very high positive, but the film isn't my favorite Spider-Man where it is a lot of people, so I, I, it's an A-, minus. like, good yeah. God. Yeah. But it's just, it's not the A+, plus, and, and Edith was one of the things that brought it down for me a little. I couldn't agree more. Guys, do you have a thesis? I know that it's not, you don't have to have one. I just figure I'd I'd ask you. Uh, there's no way I can follow up. My rant about the future. You know, I was trying to give myself a little buffer. Let's <laughs> <laughs> uh, see how this works now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so my thesis, it was originally going to be that this was the best acted and worst execution of a villain because I love Hall so much, but I do agree that the bar scene and the bar monologue, even though what he said was kind of cool, I didn't love his actual execution of it, even though I, I just, I think Hall is essentially perfect in everything that he does. But, what I will say, and it popped to me right before the show started, was, I think I have never, yeah, I've never been more terrified for Spider-Man in any film than I was in this one in Berlin. Yeah. Ever. Like, any of the other Spider-Mans, put them all together, even like Doc Ock, who's still one of my absolute favorites, Green Goblin, you know, played by Defoe, I think that those were great, but I never really worried for Spider-Man. Right. This one, it felt, I was just like, how the hell is this, how is he, he Mysterio has to let him go, essentially, right. for him to get out of this. He's lost already. He's done. It's someone else has to get him out. Exactly. And, no, and who, who could get him out? It's in my top Mysterio. 10 sequences of all the MCU. All 23 films, that makes my top 10 sequences by a, a comfy margin. And then when he actually goes into the, the illusion, it's, it's super badass. You see all the drones, but... That first time it happens to him, I, I was just like, there's no way he can possibly... I was, like, looking around. Like, <laughs> I had the 15- and 13-year-old sitting next to me. I sat in between two gigantic families all by myself yes. on a Sunday. And I was like, you guys seeing this shit? How's he gonna get out of here? Dude, oh, I saw it uh, I saw it in a crowd of six people. So yeah. I saw oh, it yes, in a yes. tiny... Tell us about your viewing experience. This is this is insane. So I, I, I'm sure saying how I saw it doesn't break an NDA, but I saw it uh, in London before we did the comic book shopping so obviously we did you know an episode with jake so i had to have seen the movie um and i saw it early so i'm in a a screening of only like six other individuals so i'm one of six and it was the only time i've seen a movie at that small of a crowd where the gasp at the post credit scene was all six of six like it was a universal like (gasps) and i looked around like oh you guys felt that too but the beautiful thing about that sequence was even with that few amount of people and in that small screening room the tension was palpable for that entire sequence and it wasn't in a theater it was in a screening room but even in that like it everyone was like palm sweaty everyone was freaking out so I love that it usually takes that 200 person ramification, but it was six of us all like we're in the we're in the we're glitching in the matrix, all of us together. It was it was surreal. It was incredible. Do you know if anyone in that room had actually seen the sequence? Uh, I mean, I I assume at least one person had. I won't right. say who. I'm curious to see if even he had seen it. So anyway, that that's because <laughs> that's a lot of post production. It was incredible. It was absolutely like jaw dropping. Um, so guys, those are our <clears throat> thesis statements. Unless you guys want to hop in with one, totally cool. If you don't, all right, cool. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I love messing with people on the couch. Uh, so, guys, those are our thesis statements. Um, i got a couple comments here. People are saying they actually really love Hall in the bar scene being douchey. Uh, they think it show what kind of villain he is. I, it's not that he... I don't like the way he portrays being a douche. I think you have to. I think Quentin has to be that way. It's just... 
I think the delivery from Hall was probably maybe not the best take. Maybe there was other one things left on the editing room floor, even though it's, they're on computers now. But you know what I mean? Where maybe it was he might have had a better line delivery in some of them. So I liked the bar room once he was monologuing. The bar bothered me in in the in the Peter sequence because Peter Peter didn't know that it was a simulation. I, Why is he sending his mask off? I know. Like I, I was like, bro, bro, right? bro, bro. Like they it do- doesn't matter if you're Night Monkey or Spider Man. You're still a you're fucking superhero. The, um, <laughs> amount of times that he was just chilling without his mask on, made I had anxiety, incredibly uncomfortable. Like even in the beginning with Aunt May and like the whole Spider Man, those curtains open. I was, curtains, like, I was like, bro. Yeah, I was like, and then he just walks out with. I was like, oh, is this a thing they're doing? He's gonna walk out there and forget to put on his mask. But yeah, there's like two layers of curtains. It's like this is a high school. Yeah, what is this double people, double blind? Yeah, that actually that was one of the things that bothered me the most. Um, but. You gotta let it go. You gotta, gotta, you gotta let it. You gotta move on. Um, yeah, I, I remember that. That specifically really bothering me. And then the whole night monkey thing. It was just like it is. If you couldn't figure out that Spider Man, <laughs> you you deserve to be Mysterio. Yeah, like, I don't know who you are out there that didn't think that Night Monkey was Spider Man. Oh well. Whatever. What I would have done with the Night Monkey character is use some tech back in the states and have Night Monkey appear somewhere. Like have Nick Fury plant Night Monkey, and that right. way there is a second character seen somewhere else. Or like have Spider Man being in the states at the same somewhere. time. Like do. Something yeah. to allude to, anyway. Because Prowler's been Spider-Man in the comics canon, so have Donald Glover put on the Spidey suit. Give me something. Mm. Give me something. Yeah. It just it felt like okay, I get it over here. Like, uh, come on. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, fist pump, guys. This is this is one of the best parts of the show. One of my favorite parts of the show. It's a moment in the movie where you look around, and you're like, oh my god, are you guys seen this? This is actually happening. I gotta watch the rest of this movie right now. <laughs> Holy crap! Uh, and for me, I think I gotta hop in and say. It was, and I, and I just mentioned it, but I loved when he jumped in the illusion. Yeah. When you actually got to see the amount of drones and what they were doing. Because, you know, when they were when they were setting it up in the green screen room, like him and his, his team, Quentin Mysterio's team, I was like, okay, he wants to turn up the, the power here so that it blows up the rocks. And I was like, this is kind of lame. Like... It's like this is. I mean, this looks like a movie set. This is what this is. It makes sense. Um, I was like, but how is this actually going to be executed? Like, this just doesn't. It, it, for some reason, it didn't click with me. Okay. But when he actually jumped into the illusion, you saw what was going on. You saw the way the drones were doing. It. You saw him underwater hitting like that. I was like, damn. Okay. All right. You got me. You won me over, Marvel. You've done it again, <laughs> MCU. Um, but I just loved it because it actually took something that I thought was too big, too grand, and and not actually going to be able to be visualized or executed correctly and and it actually worked perfectly for me that was my moment i i would normally say fist pump moment would be the entire sequence of mysteria but that's not really fist pump because you're more like oppressed yeah you're like "Ah." the whole time you're like i can't breathe yeah so like it's the opposite of a fist pump in a positive way because that sequence i i will be i'm gonna wear out my blu-ray just playing that over again so just a nod to that sequence but fist bump wise I love that Spider-Man is always down in his luck, beaten down, and has to rise up. Mm-hmm. And in Homecoming, there is a beautiful reflection of Amazing Spider-Man 33 where he lifts the thing above his head and, is, and they do the mask. Right. Peter Parker. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, how are they going to have that moment in this movie where he's always got his mask off? But they do <laughs> this beautiful sequence where they don't mirror a Spider-Man nod. They mirror a cap-wielding Mjolnir nod when he picks up the London oh, Bridge yeah. and he's also got the frickin' uh, power source. Yeah. And then he like stands up and then he goes charging in after he's had his butt kicked. That to me was my fist bump of like, Spider-Man never says die. Like, like he's yeah. a goonie. Like, Spider-Man will never be put down for long and I love that he was like, all bets were against him and he still rallied. And that, that to me is Spider-Man. I was gonna ask about that because specifically I saw that and I was like, this has to be taken 
from something, but I didn't know if it was Spider-Man, I didn't know if it was Cap, I, I wasn't sure where it originated So there's actually a, a Miles uh, Morales cover, I think it's Miles Morales Spider-Man number two, where he's, he's holding the shield like Spider-Man did in Homecoming, and okay. they've also often had Spider-Man wielding things that have that reflection, but most notably Miles in that cover, so I think it was a reflection of just that general, like, power set, like, go forward, uh, and to me, it just, it reminded me of the glory of Mjolnir and the shield in Endgame, so I was just like, oh, Spider-Man's doing the thing! It's hard for me to not just have that as my favorite moment in the whole entire Marvel Marvel Universe. It's the only time I've happy cried every viewing. Like, I've happy cried first viewings before, but I can't not watch that and just, like, quietly weep. Yeah, we uh, we saw Endgame on the Disney lot. Yeah. With, you know, there was, like, that whole, like, trains of people going in and out all day long of the people <laughs> yeah. that were actually seeing it. People waiting outside yeah. in the line as we left, and everybody's talking about the movie. I'm like, I know. Like, like, the guy, right there. guy was walking by, and he said something, and I was, I was there with my girlfriend. I was like, I'm gonna fucking kill this guy. <laughs> if he does this right now, we're gonna jump him. This whole, and you're coming with me, baby. We're gonna jump I know you don't know what's going on. It's worth it. But yeah, it would have been worth it. <laughs> but that scene, I remember the entire room exploded. Yeah. I mean, how could you not? I even screamed. And I'm not usually a person that like yells in movies, but I was like, yeah! That's the fist pump of the decade. Yeah. Like I'd give that the, the universal fist pump. Like if you're if you're watching the show, you're a fan of these movies, yeah. that's the bar. That that is the bar. Uh guys, do you have a fist pump moment? What was the moment in the movie where you kind of just lost your mind? Say other than what you've already mentioned, mm-hmm. because that was probably like yeah, the Mysterio scene with the illusions, then going into the illusion and yeah. seeing because no other visual medium that we've had Mysterio in so far, the animated cartoons, video games, they've pretty much just given us the illusions without showing like exactly how it was yeah. done. And this was the first time they actually like we need to see how Mysterio is yeah. capable of doing it. Other aside of the fact that Mysterio Quentin Beck is typically a special effects expert from mm-hmm. Hollywood. In this one, he was more of just a disgruntled Stark employee. So going in and showing how he is able to still do the, all these illusions just like he was a special effects expert like he was in the comics and cartoon and video games and yeah. everything, that was nice. Uh, I think another thing that I guess we haven't touched upon yet, and it's, I guess kind of against the action part of it, was the relationship that was built up against or between Peter and MJ. Dude, yeah, I could not. I, my other fist pump was when she kissed him. No, oh, and I oh, love that it was love, awkward at first. Yes, because it was so real that like half kiss, awkward. and then they got so a real awkward. kiss. It was great. beautiful. I know. And the other thing was again, I was sitting in between two gigantic families <laughs> of children, <laughs> and and like every time that they would have a moment, the kids would be like, "Ah, oh, gross," and I was like. Yes. Adorable. This is perfect. Like, this is the perfect way to set, put it in context. You know Hector Navarro, right? Yeah. Did you see his beautiful Twitter thread about MJ? No. Uh, internet. Twitter, uh, Hector Navarro, he pointed out, I-, I noticed it, but not as layered and beautifully as Hector. MJ in this film does what she did in the comics by slowly being revealed. So in the first in in the comics, MJ has seven cameos that you don't see her face before in issue forty two, and she's fully MJ. Okay. So it, it's a slow build. We meet Aunt Anna's niece by way of like I'm gonna set you up on a blind date, and you never see her face, and then it's her reveal. There's this moment John Romita drew her finally fully formed. So John Romita got to basically introduce MJ, who'd already been met. And I love that the movie basically did that by having Michelle Jones be MJ, right. but then in this movie be the one who finds out. Spider-Man by her own smarts, just like she does in the comics. The one who's always, like, right there in the edges. They slowly formed MJ, so through a different narrative, through a different medium, through film, yeah. they were able to do a slow burn reveal like the comics did in a new way. Well, even at the end of, uh, of Homecoming, when she's like, you can just call me MJ or whatever, her line is, I was like, ah! Yeah! Yeah! And they did it again in this yes. one! By I, having her discover a secret identity with her own smart. I loved, I loved that. it. I, I did too. And it, yeah, I, the way that she does I loved her walking around with the, the mall. Yes! The end, or the, wait, that's what it's called, right? 
Maul? What are those things called? The uh, spike like a, thing? Um, uh, yeah, M-A-U-L. No, that's that's Darth Maul. What is it? A mace. Mace. A mace. There yeah. we go. I was, like, so I was all wrong. with you. I, I was like, Maul? Like, I am right. I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, all right. So we got to keep moving through the show. And one thing, actually, I really want to talk about it, because we're going to get into star profiles right now. Uh, we'll really quickly just go through Tom Holland, Avengers Endgame, Avengers Infinity War, and the current war. It was released at TIFF in September 2017, but was delayed until the 10-4-2019. Uh, Due to, oh, the Weinstein allegations. Yeah. Yeah. No fun. No yeah. fun. Excited yeah. to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> that being said, uh, on the other side of it, you have Jake Gyllenhaal, who has done Velvet Buzzsaw, The Sisters Brothers, which I did just watch, and Wildlife. Um, I actually like The Sisters Brothers. It wasn't like my favorite film, but I thought it was entertaining enough. To, have any of you guys seen Velvet Buzz- Buzzsaw? I saw, I was, <laughs> it's real weird. Uh, I was at I the premiere. with Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, dude. You know, I, it was actually, there were moments during our interview where I was like, I've mentioned too many of your films in a row. Lean back. I definitely know pull too back. much. Oh, Here's back. your IMDb in chronological <laughs> order, Jake. Uh, but there was a moment we were talking about Velvet Buzzsaw, and I went to the premiere, so I saw it with an audience, but mm-hmm. it's a Netflix film. So everybody was like, like didn't enjoy it but since I saw it with 200 people all the laughs landed for me okay so I watched it loved it and was raving about it then I watched it at home and I was like oh so it's truly a theatrical movie that never got a theatrical push Velvet Buzzsaw is a satire about art and and how far it can go into the psyche and it's almost like a glory the problem is it's a glorified Goosebumps episode at points I was gonna say because isn't it supposed to be scary it's it's scary but it's like satire scary okay so uh, there's actually a moment in comic book shopping where uh, Jake and I talk about the Velvet Buzzsaw and his his reaction is also like I don't know what that was really like we it's kind of this universal like it's a it's an experiment and it landed for some and not for others so I I enjoyed it, but it's definitely like a piece of it's an attempt at something, right. whether that lands for you or not. Uh, Jake's like filmography is one of the best, period. Oh, the man. choices he makes, the, we, the leaps he does. Uh, I, I forgot to plug it earlier because I've just been so hyped. We have the spoke.co, it's this new app. I don't know if Ben's talked to you about this. No. Dude, it's insane. So, what it is, it's, it's a movie review app, and you can look up any film and it'll show you exactly where it's streaming, what the reviews are of Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb, and also everyone that you're friends with. In the app, it shows what they've rated the film. I like this. So you can go and see what your friends think of movies. Because, honestly, at the end of the day, that's kind of who you trust more these days than critics. Because critics can hate movies you love or love movies you hate. And uh, this is where you literally build your own group of critics amongst your friends, amongst people you respect, people in the community that you respect. Like, you know all the influencers out there that do what we do, yeah. that the idea is that the Spoke.co will have those people doing reviews so you can be like, oh, well, I love Koi. I trust Koi. Let's go see what he thinks about these films. And that's a lot of, especially the, the films that take chances like Jake's films. Like yeah. Southpaw, I loved and no one saw it. Like yeah. Southpaw is incredible and I wouldn't have seen that if I listened to the critics. And that's been important to find those films. And especially, the, like, did you see uh, Demolition? I actually have not seen that. Demolition is this incredible, nuanced, very French art house film yeah. about a man who loses his wife and doesn't feel anything and he's numb and he's trying to find love and feeling about anything again and that's so him. it's that's his, and it's jake and it's the whole arc is just him trying to emote so only an actor of that level can be like i'm not emotional and make it seem believable and work right. and you'd be interested because like people not emoting is a problem it's like, very difficult it's day-to-day life you're not interested in like the guy that's sitting next to you at a cubicle but jake is so interesting that he lands this and i feel like the mysterio role was this beautiful culmination of all of jake's different choices as an actor because the opening has to be charming like og I jake love- career i love I love the beginning. It, like, I, that charming is, Quentin so, Beck, and, like... And the whole 
whole time, if you know comics, because I've, I've actually heard that it hits better for people that don't know the comics. I can't imagine how cool that would be. Yeah, them. right? Because the whole movie, I'm just sitting there waiting, like, all right, when is this going to happen? When's it going to happen? And they kind of troll movie fans, because they don't do it in the beginning of the second act. Right. They do it 20 minutes or 15 minutes later than you'd expect. So there are points where I, as a comic fan, was like, maybe this is the multiverse, and we're going to get, like, a bad mystery on a good mystery. Yeah. Like, was, it was just long enough. Yep. I was like, they got me. And it, only Jake Gyllenhaal's IMDb, like, reflects how much of a thing that is, because 90s Jake Gyllenhaal charm, early 2000s Jake Gyllenhaal mischief, late 2000s darkness with Nightcrawl and Prisoners. Yeah. He kind of plays all of those in this one role. We've said many times on this show that we believe that Jake Gyllenhaal is probably the most underrated actor in Hollywood. I would say he's... Oh, absolutely. I mean, even though he's still an A-list superstar, he just was the, a villain in a Marvel film, he is still underrated. One nomination, no wins Oscar, and he should be able to do whatever he wants. If he's not, I think he is. But if he's not, like there should be no role that is... It's he he could have won for Brokeback. He should have been nominated for Nightcrawl. He could have been nominated for... He could have been nominated for almost anything he's done in the last like 10 years. Agreed. He's just insane. Um, so that being said, you mentioned Mysterio. Does Mysterio... I want to talk to you about your top five MCU villains. Yes. There's someone... There's very few people in this world as versed as you are in film and in comics for this specific topic. So give it to me. We're going to go top five. Let's count down, and I want to hear exactly why. And does Mysterio make your list? So Mysterio would be between six and ten. Okay. Okay. So he makes the top ten, not the top five. Fair. Five. Hella. Yes! Hella's I right there. I love Hella, dude. She's so badass. She's incredible. She's nuanced. She reflects the comic, and she also reflects the movies in a way. She reinterprets death. She also is the god of death, and they make those both work, and it's like, what a performance. And she crushes his hammer with one hand. It's She's awesome throughout that, and only with that kind of villain can that insanity of Ragnarok work, and yeah. finding that level, like that balance. Pfft. Uh, number four, Vulture. Yes. Uh, I'm gonna go. Love Vulture. There's this. There's two sequences in Homecoming alone that I think are amongst the best of any villain performance. One of them is in the car, yes. where he yeah. literally strong arms him by being a dad and a supervillain, and he busts out a gun. Just in a car. So tacky about it because it's Spider-Man, and he knows. But there's just something so menacing. Like, yes. And I he's driving it. a car from the comics, by the way. They oh, actually he? there's a drawing of that Jaguar, green Jaguar from the comics that reflects in the movie. So they, the detail. Oh, uh, so that whole sequence and. Then then later on when they do that across the room sequence where he like literally is overpowering Spider-Man in a wide shot yeah. and he's talking him down and he's running that room and then they do a, a Green Goblin metaphor with the wings coming in instead of the Goblin Glider like not only do they reflect Vulture they also reflect the Green Goblin, green goblin without having us get another Green Goblin so yes. for me the Vulture did so much right and like doesn't get enough care like reveal that he's oh, the God. dad and they, they so good, twist man. on the comics again where that's not like a narrative in the comic books Adrian Toomes is not like a oh, father yeah, I think Ben told me that. He's not a guy at all. We don't care about Adrian Toomes' lineage. But now we did. We did. And the collar on the suit. Like, God damn, the vulture is so slept on. Yeah, I think the vulture. So, great. so that's my number four. Number three, before there was Thanos, there was Loki. Yeah. Loki ran phase one and a lot of phase two. People forget how before we had Thanos, how important Loki was. I love that Loki pops up and then turns into Cap in Thor Dark World and it makes Thor Dark World better. I love the brother relationship. I love that you never trust him, but you want to because of how good Tom Hiddleston is. Right. Like, all of Ragnarok, you're like, this guy's gonna betray him and you're like but wait but what if he doesn't and i love that yeah. uh number two I, I actually hated loki for the longest time no i don't know why i just was like not on board i was like there's got to be a better villain out there but then i recently rewatched the avengers the original avengers yeah i was like damn <laughs> he's he's evil he's like, shakespeare he's yeah he, he just destroys people his lines are beautiful he's a true god in that movie and yeah an evil god i yeah so i i'm totally with you with loki there number two the villain of our times. This is what I'm so curious about. Eric Killmonger. 
Okay. Eric yep. Killmonger is is uh, what I loved about this movie, and again, like this touches on politics, and I apologize for for people avoiding the real world while watching shows about <laughs> escapism. Uh, he's a, a, an American. Like he does basically, he has an American mindset, and he tries to take control using a lot of capitalistic and and our worldview ideals, and he's doing things that are not just possible they're happening yeah. he's a villain not doing like i guess that could happen like no no bro go watch other like documentaries about these like god of war with nicholas cage another great action yeah. movie and lord eric killmonger thank you yeah. lord of war and eric killmonger same dude yeah like that's the same world so killmonger and the fact that he's just doing what he sees is right to such a level that we see it as right and there are points where i'm like i agree with him more than t'challa that I'm like, wait a second. And then T'Challa ends up doing what he set out to do at the end. Right, at the end, he does what Killmonger to wanted to expand the world. world. Yeah. So the villain won by dying in a way, which is beautiful. And number one, come on. How could it not be? Big Daddy Thanos. It's Big Daddy Thanos. Come on! With three C's, so thick. Uh, I love Thanos' <laughs> ability to play a ten-year game and yeah. not be disappointed. And, like, you don't... You understand where he's coming from, yeah. Which I think is brilliant, and he's also you also have to have that thing that all of these villains have, other than Loki, probably in the first film. But the rest of them are just trying to do what they think is right, yeah. That and, and by any means necessary. And the only reason Loki's not trying to do what's right is he doesn't care what's right, exactly. And that that makes him more fun because he's a chaotic neutral. Yes. He's not chaotic, good or bad. He's just chaos. Him and the Joker are fun because there is no through line. Mm -hmm. The beauty of these characters is there isn't a center. So Thanos, for me, is is the most just of any of them because he's actually trying to rebuild worlds with resources. And if you've been on the 405 during rush hour, he's right a lot of the time. Like, there's there's many days where I'm like, man, any time now. And, like, they made him more of a villain in Endgame, but he's very, very reasonable in Infinity War. Like, he definitely... They had to make him more of a villain in Endgame, so when he dies, you kind of feel bad. Because in Infinity War, you're like, man... Right. Oh no! And if you're reading any of the comics, the Thanos comic right now, the way he raises Gamora, you're like, "Dude's making all these choices," but I guess I kind of get it. Right. So Thanos is an incredible villain on page and on screen. Those are my top five. All of them are top notch. I'd say Mysterio's in the six to ten range because of it being so prophetic. Yeah. But these guys all had more time to play. Do you think they did Mysterio justice in the way that he is portrayed? Because I also know, like in the comics, he's supposed to be like an excellent hand-to-hand fighter. Like he's supposed to be like a person that can actually. Go toe-to-toe with the superhero? Well, the thing about Mysterio in the comics is you never know what you're dealing with, and mm-hmm. you're not usually dealing with a physical manifestation of anything. Right. Like, you will find out he's like a Doombot. Like, later on, you find out you were fighting, like, this entity that wasn't... Like he's been in the room the other time. Right. So, the thing about Mysterio is I don't think we've seen Mysterio fully Mysterio yet. I think we're going to get, like, Sinister Six. I think we're going to get yeah. more, and I think it's only going to grow as a character. And I also think that Mysterio here, that one sequence is, is very perfectly Mysterio. And the I end. think uh, the Berlin sequence. Oh, the Ber- gotcha. Berlin sequence and the end. Yeah. But I think that they had to tell a narrative that both summarized Endgame, set up Spider-Man for the future, and they did what they could with Mysterio, but I don't think this is the last we've seen of him. I, okay, so you believe he's still alive. I believe the concept of Mysterio will always be alive. What about, okay, Jesus. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like every, no, I, 20 people owned that version of him. Yeah. And I also think the physical body of Quentin Beck. The, okay, if you look at the movie, Edith is worn by Quentin Beck and then handed to Peter. At yeah. no point did that transference of power go to play. I know, the I only that. The only person that said that Edith, the only person that said that Quentin was gone was Spider-Man with his own eyes and Edith through Quentin's eyes. Yeah. Quentin Beck's not dead and right. Mysterio's not dead. Do you guys agree? Yeah. 
I think my I thought know. my thought with the with the glasses though was that ultimately Tony Stark allowed so the glasses always... to always it could always go back to Peter Parker for him wearing the glasses. Okay, I thought and that, that he as well. Can, he can be selective on who he wants to I'll transfer it to, mm-hmm. but ultimately, if the glasses always find themselves back on Peter's face, they're They'll going to work. work. Yeah, okay. that's what I was thinking as well. But I also because like maybe this is another oversight, like the mask thing. But do you believe <laughs> that Mysterio or Quentin Beck himself is alive or dead, or do you believe he's going to be carried on through this group of people? I'm going. I'm going with. I hope so because I love Mysterio. Yeah. I love what they did with him and how they translated him to the screen. So I like that. I need more of that sequence. I need more of those Same. moments. And it feels. It feels like it would be just so amateur for him to have not expected Spider-Man to figure out the one thing, yeah. right? Like you've always got to have a plan A, B, C, D, E, F. You know, like and, and Quentin Beck's the exact type of person that would do that. And he asked for that cape twice, man. Yeah. Like there, that woman is still working on his physical yeah. suit, and I, I feel like that's going to come into play later. Janice, yes, I still need. To <laughs> I might be literally shaking hands with the queen later. That is such a great line. Uh, okay, so I'm trying to think of what else I want to talk about. Okay, let's talk about the second post credit scene. Because yeah, I'm an idiot. I didn't stay. How did you leave? I just wanted to get away from those damn kids, dude. <laughs> Honestly, they were so great to watch the movie with, but this one. It's been kid, so positive the whole time, not, and now the truth comes out. He would not <laughs> give up on his Slurpee. Ever. <laughs> he wrote that thing for the entire movie, and he finished it in the trailers. It was un. I literally at one point wanted to just be like, it's oh, gone, bro. It's gone. That's it. I'll get you to. Are you need a refill? Are these Edith? These are, these are Edith and Jason. Uh, these are but they're Mysterio purple. <laughs> yeah. I come branded, man. This is wonderful. Action movie Mysterio. <laughs> I can, I'm ready for shows. So good. So what the hell happened? Talk me through it. Tell me what happened for, for anyone else that was as dumb as I was that didn't stay. Sword is a thing in the comic books. Shield is a defensive, slightly more behind-the-scenes approach to weapons and surveillance and all those things. I thought they were going sword and Winter Soldier because they were like, yo, we're going to kill everybody we've got a problem with. Right. And then, obviously, Cap handled that. Winter Soldier set up so much. Uh, I feel like sword in space is basically, that's a more offensive version of Shield. Uh, it is a more galactic version, and now that we have the X-Men and Fantastic Four rides back, it makes sense they expand the galactic stuff. Uh, in the comics, a character that's been owned by Fox has been running sword um, and I, I really think that we're going to get a lot more cosmic, obviously, with Phase 4. So to set up Sword with that post credit scene, to have Nick Fury working with the Skrulls, and obviously that moment in the film where they're talking about the Kree casually, which mm-hmm. was a beautiful reveal later when we found out they were Skrulls the whole time talking about the Kree. Right. Um, having having Nick Fury off Earth also gave us some credibility of the most paranoid person on the planet would have seen through Mysterio's stuff. So that was really bothering me throughout the film. That Same. Maria was, was acting super stiff, yeah. and, and Robin Sparkles is a fantastic actress. I, I love Kobe Smith. I know, I know. Kobe Smulders is... I don't know what it is with her and that specific character. They just don't work for me. And it it's, it's someone else or a different character. I think that she needs to be able to have more scenes so we fall in love with her so when she's stiff, we have, we've we earned it. Yeah. I think we need more Maria Hill so we understand why she's that way. Yeah. The problem is if you're playing a, a character one direction where you're not invested, then you you just see that. Yeah, you're just kind of shut off from it. Yeah. yeah. So I think we'll get that. Um, but I, I think that reveal at the end and then the post credit scene in space... I think that's going to go right into where we go with Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I think it's going to go right into Eternals. Honestly, I think that was like more of a, an Eternal setup than anything. Mm. Uh, the Eternals obviously being this giant cosmic space opera that spans thousands of years. We need to set the precedent. We're going to be in space a lot. Okay. Uh, I personally hope that Marvel goes super cosmic and super grounded going forward. Uh, I'd like Spider-Man to... to I love that he traveled, and I love that it still, still felt friendly neighborhood, but I want Spidey to be our ground game guy, okay. and then keep everything else cosmic, and I want some heroes still on Earth that are dealing with earthly stuff, especially 
especially since we lost Netflix. One of the best things the MCU did was keep a Netflix contingent of grounded earthly characters. That's a good point. And those are gone now. So yeah. we need someone to be the guy that we see underdog with. He needs to be the new Iron Man. Yeah, and he we, needs to just hang out on I Earth. think he needs to be smaller than Iron Man. Yeah. Because Iron Man can still, like, he flew to space with a nuke. Right. We need Spider-Man to be the guy with the churros and the bikes. You think and he the, just stays right there? I think, I think we need to Queens. grow with Spider-Man and see that there are still characters we can see eye to eye with. Mm-hmm. If everyone's Thor, then Thor doesn't matter. Right. Like, that's the problem we have with these movies getting too big, is if we don't relate to any of them, then our relatable characters are just as big as our unrelatable, and then there's no way to, like, feel like you're part of the team. Spider-Man's our guy. He's yeah. who we identify with. So I think he should be small in Phase 4. Like, okay. stay stay grounded anyway. Not small, but grounded. And and, and do you think there's ever actually going to be a good Fantastic Four movie? Yes. Think I want it so bad. <laughs> I've wanted it since I was a kid. Yeah. Like, because it was one of the... I remember watching the cartoon all the time. I absolutely loved it. And the fact that, like, I don't know. I think Every single that, one's been atrocious. And the cast of the last one was so good. Yeah, but the, the, the uh, a director made that movie, and then a studio made that movie, I and know, then they put it I out, know. and it was two movies. Was like so There was literally a, a one-year-later mark where the movie changed movies, and you're like, what's happening? Oh, like, no, I haven't even seen it. it I watched like, the first 20 minutes, and I was like, I just don't care. Those are the best 20 minutes. Really? Yeah. It and only still didn't spiral. Care. But uh, I think Fantastic Four, as, as an entity, is such a good concept that yeah. with the right hands behind it, which it's never had, it, it'll be something special. And now now it does feel like they're in the, it's in the right place. So um, let's just talk money real quick. We're going to skip over <laughs> production development because we got all those great behind-the-scenes tidbits from you. Uh, big shout-out to Brandon Hanna for doing all the production development notes that we're going to skip right now. So, Brandon, thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> it was directed by John Watts. We'll just say that. Uh, he's known for directing Clown in 2014, Cop Car in 15, and, of course, Spider-Man Homecoming in 2017. You guys know who produced this film. That's that's no surprise there. Uh, so Marvel Studios, Sony Columbia, the budget... Uh, was not pulled up, so I can look that up. But as of right now, as of yesterday, grossed $185 million domestic, an additional $395 million foreign, and a total of $580 million, so just over half of a billion in its first week. It was number one at 93.6 million. It's got an 8.1 on IMDb, a 91% on the tomato meter, and a 96 by the audience, which I think is, I think that's good. I think that's fair. Uh, guys, what is your favorite line? It's weird because it's a stutter. Is it? My favorite line in the film is uh, when Peter goes, something, something, Beck, and then Jay Gyllenhaal goes, it's Mysterio. <laughs> that bit summarized the entire character, gave us the charm of Jake and Quentin Beck, while also like playing up the fact that he's a showman. Yeah. If you look at that line, it's actually a huge reveal. Well, it is. He's because... leaning into the fact that he's like becoming an entity, and he didn't have a character name. Like at that moment for me, it's like a couple words, but mysterious. Yeah, and he's also, it's you know, everything he does is like a little nod to Peter, like hey, thanks, Spider Man. Yeah. Like, early on, he's like, hey, thanks for doing that. Thanks for giving me that cool name. Remember what you wanted to call me? Like all that stuff, it, and that's why I. I think maybe if you never knew or you knew nothing about Mysterio, watching it the first time was probably a better experience than we got because of the imagine. turn. But then now you get to go watch it the second time knowing that and see all the things that you missed. So this is one of those moments where it would be probably great to not have any of the history like known involved. Or, I'm like, so jealous of yeah. those people. And, yeah. and you could see it again with the post-credits scene knowing the, the reveal. Yeah. So your second viewing would be special. Halfway there. I, and I, and like, it's going to have legs because of that. I think it's going to make a lot of money for second like repeat viewings because of the kind of movie it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And there's definitely things I want to just go like go back and watch Again, especially like that scene in Berlin. Berlin. I just want to watch everything because I was so overwhelmed by it. And half the time I was just thinking, how the hell is he going to get out of this? I didn't really get to even enjoy it. So uh, do you guys have a favorite line? Mine is Peter Tingle. 
I love the Peter Tingle. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of times it was said, and then when he finally gets it back, because when he does finally get his Spidey senses back and he's fighting with his eyes closed, I was just like, in the illusion, I was like, this is awesome. This is exactly what I want out of Spider-Man yeah. right now. So it was like almost a fist pump, but the Peter Tingle from everyone, for Happy, from himself, from Aunt May, wonderful. Do you guys have a line or not? I mean, for me, like, it's it's not so much a line. It's kind of a twist on that a little bit. It's just the uh, moment where, like, Mysterio is, he's, Quentin Beck is there, and he's got his crew all around, mm-hmm. and they're in that warehouse or what have you, and he's sitting there, like, putting things together like it's a production. Yeah. And it's like, that. that's a great callback to bring in, like, he, he is that, that special effects artist from the comics. From Hollywood, yeah. yeah. But instead, we're, uh, we're seeing him... You know, with his team and trying to pull the strings and pull everything together, it was just awesome. And you knew exactly what they were doing. They were trying to give you all the exposition, and it yeah. was so like in your face the way they did it. But I actually really liked how they did it because I needed, I needed to know the fact that he was in a mocap suit. That's a legit mocap suit I've worn. Like yeah. that was a that's a Hollywood. That's a mocap that's suit. A real like mocap that's what suit. you yeah. look like in those suits. That <laughs> moment really made me happy because I was like, oh right, this is what Mysterio would really wear, and yeah. it made the fishbowl cannon logical because yeah. you'd have to put CGI over a shape that would work for the AR helmet. Mm-hmm. So his CGI representation would need something in the light. I was like, Jesus Christ, yeah. that's perfect. It was brilliant. Love that. Yeah. Um, so, Grayson Rodriguez asks, we have a, uh, um, on Instagram every single week, we do a competition on the weekends, and whoever wins that, it's usually an AMA-related question. You can send a message to us, and we pick from the right answers, and someone gets asked the AMA question. So this week, Grayson Rodriguez, at Grayson Rodriguez, asks, I love Tom Holland, I think this version is a lot of fun, but do you think it's lacking in the Uncle Ben department? Guilt and responsibility is a core aspect of the character, but it seems to be missing, and I personally have a hard time connecting with it. As always, love the show, love you, Grayson, thanks for the great question, uh, I think I think you should probably take the lead on this. I mean, I personally I don't mind it not being there because I've it's the same thing where it's like I don't need to see Bruce Wayne's parents die every time that there's a Batman movie. Sure. I really don't. And I know the Uncle Ben story. I've seen it many times. I liked it in the Amazing Spider-Man. I liked it in the originals. Um, but I don't disagree that the guilt and responsibility is a big thing that weighs heavy on Spider-Man's character in those first two franchises. So I don't miss it, but I don't think I would hated I would have hated to see it. I feel like uh, Uncle Ben is now Uncle Tony, and yeah. I definitely think the guilt and responsibility of losing Tony is going to be what they reflect. They even had a tombstone. Like, there, there's a Tony yeah. Stark tombstone of his guilt in the movie. So, that to me... So <sighs> Iron Man. Yeah. Uh, and that, also, that Marvel Zombies nod. Marvel Zombies, great run. Um, <laughs> what I liked about uh, Iron Man... No, yeah, it's Iron Man. Like, he's effectively got Iron Man as an uncle, right. and they <clears throat> still get to play with that trope at MCU it. So I miss Uncle Ben because of the power and responsibility and all those those concepts. But the thing that actually bothers me more isn't that. It's about we can't ever have the Daily Bugle responsibility of Spider-Man's always kind of torn about the fact that he's selling pictures of himself. Right. And he's always kind of like, I have to do this for money. I have to do these things. And for me, I interpreted that as he's about responsibility, and he's kind of hoodwinking people. So the moment where he takes a selfie when he's swinging around at the end, I was like, this is it. This is when it begins. Now he sees he can sell these photos, blah, blah, blah. To me, that was a nod towards, and then they immediately took it away. So the power and responsibility of Uncle Ben also reflects his business choices and what he does for a career and all those things. So for me, I have to start seeing the MCU Spider-Man as completely separate from the comics. Because the choices they made in this film completely separate who Spider-Man is from the comics. He can't work at the Bugle. He can't go back to high school. He can't publicly be like running around as the Wait, underdog. Why can't he go back to high school? Because Peter Parker's Spider-Man. Oh, right, because everyone knows now. Yeah, Jesus. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. how does he go to college? Like, what happened? Like, yeah. how does he, like, he's about to be a senior. Nope. Like, that, there's that, the ending of this movie was so crazy. And, that, and that's also why I think Mysterio's still alive. Yeah. Is because he was still able to orchestrate. If he had the wherewithal to orchestrate all that in the last seconds he was dying, 
then he's definitely still alive. There's there's just no way. There's got to be yeah. some seeds planted. How is he going to exist as a he's 16. This isn't like when That's Bruce what I mean. Wayne disappears for a while in, you know, at the end of or in Rises. It's it's much different. I do like that this movie did have the Ben uh, Parker uh, in the suitcase, so we still got to know that Ben Parker exists in the universe. His suitcase yeah. had a BFP on it and Ben mm-hmm. Ben Parker, there's a running joke in the comics that he's based off Ben Franklin, so Benjamin Franklin Parker. Okay. Uh so I like that we got that like so he's canon, but I do think we're missing out on some key this is why Spider-Man operates the way he does moments in general. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think tony stark should be his only father figure and i think that in the comics tony and him are very they're closer in age one but they're they're much more like kin spirits well and it feels like we're way too far past ever bringing uncle ben in yeah like someone like seeing a suitcase like you and knowing that those are his initials is much different than actually now throwing in a flashback of when uncle ben left like that would right. suck and it'd be weird, and who's going to play him? Like, you'd also, like, the Marissa Tomei age makes it very, like, Tim McGuire's the funny joke. But, like, yeah. having Toby be Uncle Ben would be the be the fun answer. But uh, it, it'd be tricky to add a movie six. Yeah. We've had five Spider-Man movies with Tom Holland now. It'd be really weird to put him in six. God, that's so crazy. Isn't that insane? so many already. And it's like every year we get one or two, and then yeah. we've also had the game and stuff. So we're very inundated with Spider-Man, especially with Spider-Verse, the game, and the five movies. And none of them have had Uncle Ben. Yeah. Yeah, that's so very true. So it's a very interesting time because I'm a huge fan of what Uncle Ben represents. Same. So it's great. really tricky to, yeah. to put him in now. So I just don't want kids that are growing up in this Spider-Man to not know how important that character is. Right, right. How do you guys feel about not having Uncle Ben? I think it, it, it kind of makes sense because, I mean, at this point we've also been, like, inundated left and right with, say, like, Superman's origin. Mm-hmm. We all know this. This is kind of like just common sense at this point that you know a couple of these heroes. You know how Batman became Batman. You know how Superman becomes Superman. You know how Spider-Man becomes Spider-Man. Right. Especially because of the movies. Uh, I think the, the previous movies, uh, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man and the Amazing Spider-Man movies, they're still pretty relevant and they still also heavily still dive into uncle ben Mm -hmm. so it's still out there where people are aware of who uncle ben is they get why this is something that eats at peter parker on a constant basis Mm -hmm. and so with that being out there there wasn't much need i would say for the marvel cinematic universe to touch upon it except like you what you were saying the little nods with the initials on there yeah Uh, stuff like that i think is is good enough um but i agree i would like maybe some kind of more of a mention uh like we haven't even gotten anything as close to like maybe a picture on the wall or something Mm -hmm. you would think even like at aunt may's house that may parker would have a picture of her deceased husband somewhere we haven't even seen that. I want a flashback with the kid that played Peter Parker in Iron Man 2, which they've retroactively made canon. That little kid uh, mm. at the Stark Expo, they said, is Peter Parker. <laughs> yeah. Whoever played that kid, I want him stunt-casted. I want a flashback with Uncle Ben at a Mets game. And That's I just it. want a nod to the fact that he even existed. And then I don't even need the speech. I just want to know he's part of the just universe. Just hanging out. Just hanging out. Just and that'll show some levity of Spider-Man's life before he was a world traveling. You've been to space, bitch. Like yeah, yeah. I want to see like a, a Queens boy again. Yeah. We had no Queens in this movie. I want some Queens. Yeah, that's very true. Maybe he's watching like a video, like a flashback yeah. video or something of him and Uncle Ben doing something. Because we're in the modern age now, so it's very possible there could be a video somewhere of him at a baseball game with yeah. Uncle Ben, right. and Uncle Ben's just quickly saying that with great power comes great responsibility, and then we move on. Like a nice little nod to appease everyone, and then it just moves 
moves on. To. There's a until Tales of Spider-Man number negative one. It's a it's a flashback issue, so it's a negative mm-hmm. one. Is just them at a Mets game, and really? it's beautiful. That's and it. it's wow. like he's like seven, and it's it's this great of uh, just character building. And that's what I think the movie could use is like some character building on Peter Parker because yeah. we've seen Peter Parker as part of the Avengers more than we've seen Peter Parker. Yeah, completely. and I'd like to have some Tom Holland. Like he's such a great actor. I want to see just some some work. I loved him in Zendaya so much in this in the oh, relationship. Yeah. That was some of my. They, the movie needed that, or else it would have fallen completely flat. You could have just had a bunch of superhero BS for for two hours or whatever. You needed that. So, uh, moving on, guys, there are three action movie categories. Totally, totally ridiculous, totally legitimate, and ridiculously legitimate. They kind of explain themselves. I'm going to have to say that this film is in the middle category, ridiculously legitimate. It, not because it falls apart at any moment. I just think that there's a part of this film and a part of the way that Mysterio works that you kind of have to... Uh, kind of have to buy into the world a little bit. You have to believe that there's millions of drones flying around that that aren't interacting with anything and that the fact that, you know, the Edith glasses and the way that it transfers ownership. There's just a few things and mainly for me, it's the mask being off in many, many moments that it feels like you just wouldn't do as a superhero. Yeah, That's why I think it falls to the middle category. I buy the Mysterio stuff more than the mask off, which is funny. Yeah. Because of the world we live in. Like, people are complaining about that scene where Mysterio flies and lands next to Peter and they're talking. He's like, he couldn't actually fly because of the drones. In my opinion, it's Quentin Beck sitting next to Peter and he's masking where he is and then he he manifests the fly he, he holographs the flying up and then he makes himself apparent okay. like there are tricks you could do to make those things work right put the mask off what is that right especially in the world we live in you're Mysterio you just saved this country that you're in these people are all gonna be taking pictures of you yeah it doesn't matter what fucking bar you're in yeah it doesn't matter what hole in the wall it is Peter everyone Parker is everyone's yeah so everyone's yeah so I'm glad that you agree do you guys have a category you think it falls into I think I'd agree with Yeah, just because, I mean, you do have to suspend the belief in the fact that it's a superhero movie, of yeah. course. Yeah. But, I mean, given the parameters, the laws of, like, how these Marvel Cinematic Universe movies have been been working within, yeah, I mean, some of it is kind of weird. And I, I agree that now we are at the point where what Mysterio does is fairly believable, mm-hmm. while there's kind of, like, how is... Spider-Man able to do this stuff. And going back to like his mask off, Spider-Man was one of the most secretive heroes like for a right. while there. Even if he was with, like I think his first time that he was around the Avengers in the comics, he still wore the mask. None of the Avengers knew who he was. Yeah, he, he was the only one without, like he, he actually needed the money the most, but he wouldn't accept paychecks because they couldn't rent it out to Spider-Man. That's like that's so Spider-Man. Funny. Spider-Man at his core needs the money, but he won't reveal his identity so the Avengers can't pay him. That's who the character is to me and that's what's so tricky and that's what that was what was so important in the civil war storyline was like it was i think even one of the covers was him with his mask off and that was a very key moment in spider-man storyline is (laughs) him taking the mask off like my name's peter parker and i've been spider-man since i was 15 right in front of a camera and everyone and jonah blocking out because he's worked with peter now we can never have peter and jonah's relationship which is like this other father and son relationship so it's it's really (laughs) tricky where we are and uh i know we're we're cruising to the end but 8b nicholas cage's uncle ben Nicholas Cage. <laughs> With great power comes great responsibility, Peter. You gotta remember that. Marissa Tomei and him have done like two, three movies together. Oh, they could totally great. have a little little nephew. Yep. I love Marissa. <laughs> Tom Cruise as Iron Man and Nicholas Cage as because Tom Cruise almost was. I have a question yeah. for you. What you got? What do you think about a situation now that we have Peter's identity out there? Where uh, lives in an age where he still needs to make that money from those photos, mm-hmm. but he does it anonymously over the internet. Since apparently the bugle is now 
based on the internet and not so much a newspaper. I can see that working for like the tiniest of like it could be like a side thing, like mm-hmm. it could be a moment of mention, but it wouldn't yeah. last for long. Uh, and also, how would you get the money? You know, like anonymously. Uh, That's it's the same problem yeah. as the Avengers. Just Venmo uh, it. <laughs> but got offshore. You know what I think this sets up beautifully? Craven the Hunter. Yes. Who yeah. are you going to hire to hunt down this 16-year-old boy in New York that has all these powers? Oh, yep. that's interesting. Craven's last hunt doing that story. I, I think Craven comes in, and I think that's how you bring it back to the grounded reality where he's a kid in New York. I don't know who that is, but it sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine yeah. an evil Steve Irwin. Okay, okay. A in, 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 a t- in a tiger vest. <laughs> yeah, lion, lion vest. vest. Lion, yeah. Yeah. Uh, guys, there's one last thing to do on the show, and that's called The Pitch. It's really weird when there's three people in here and no one does it. We never tell anyone. Didn't We're not supposed to. No, we never right do. All right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, guys, next week on the show, I'm actually going to be gone for the next two weeks. I'll be in China. I'll be in Xi'an doing the uh, World Cyber Games, casting for Clash Royale. I'm very, very excited to do that. I will definitely miss the show. So I'm not sure what the movie's going to be next week. It's either going to be Pineapple Express or Stuber, depending on the guests and how good Stuber actually is, which I hope it's awesome. Have you seen it already? I'm seeing it tonight. You're seeing it tonight? Yeah, okay. I'm excited. All right. Yeah, yeah. I'm very excited. We'll have to, I'll have to tweet you later and yeah. see what you think. Um, and lastly, guys, a big general shout-out. Andrew Hayes, Paul Denuzio, Billy Bell. For John Getz, John Patterson, Jake Yacoveta, Kyle Grandinetti, Jonathan Peck, Kelsey Kirkland, and Matt Ryan. Damn, we got that many generals now. Guys, salute. Thank you so much for your support. Patreon.com slash team action. If you want a little bit more information on that, click on the link down below. Buy tickets for New York Live. Cinefanatics, I cannot thank you enough for being here. I hope you have a great time at VidCon. Koi, it's always, always a pleasure, brother. Dude, that was fun. So much Every fun. Spider-Man movie, we'll just make it a... Yeah. And if you ever no, do will. Lethal Weapon, man, I'm telling you. We will do Lethal Weapon. Yes. We'll at least do Lethal Weapon, too. Uh, 30 so, years ago this week. Happy anniversary. Boom. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we will see you next time. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network.